The Absurd and Fantastical is a brand new website where I will be posting new articles every week. So if you like interesting facts and interesting fiction, come check it out. It's the place where fantasy meets absurdity. In the epics of Mongolian literature, there are stories abound of mangas, the many-headed demons who ate humans, destroyed crops, and stole children away from their mothers. They are a terror, ingrained in the very fabric of Mongolia, in their art, in their homes and stories. But however terrifying the mangas might be, they are always defeated by heroes with shining swords, whistling arrows, and a mount to carry them through the danger. And no rider can defeat these monsters without his horse. And so the horse has woven its way into the hearts, minds and souls and very wardrobe of the people of Mongolia. Elizabeth Kimball Kendall, a traveller and writer, once wrote, The Mongol without his pony is only half a Mongol, but with his pony he is as good as two men. And without ever speaking to a Mongolian, one can easily witness the tradition and history the horse carries across the open steppes. And in the eyes and smiles of the people there is a love and adoration. Apart from being a companion, the horse acts as their livelihood, their food, their milk, their transport. From their hair they make ropes, from their skin they make boots. They eat their meat in winter and use their bones to make beautiful instruments. And even a mare's milk can be made into a refreshing alcoholic drink called arach. Without the horse and what it provides, it is easy to see that the Mongolian way of life would drastically change. According to statistics, there are three million horses in Mongolia one for each person. They are a symbol of status and wealth. The larger the herd, the higher your status. A man who can tame a wild stallion is respected by men and adored by women. Horse races are grand events called Nadam, and they occur every summer. Young and old riders alike take part, racing across the open fields in endurance races ranging between 10 to 30 kilometers. The winning horse is revered and adored, his sweat-soaked body touched by and petted by onlookers, believing it to be good luck. The horse is then sprinkled with a rach. Despite being tamed and used for work, the horses are mostly wild as the Mongols prefer their mounts spirited and independent. The horses are not so much controlled as guided. The rider lets the horse pick the pace, so he ropes and herds the cattle over the grasslands or pick his way across the hefty slopes of the mountain. Having a stranger on their back could be disastrous for the rider as these horses are fiercely loyal and tend to bond with only one master. Children ride mares or older geldings, as do the women. When a favorite mount dies from old age or the simple harshness of the steps, it is honored by having its skull buried. Should it be killed for food, it is instead left in the field so that its spirit can remain in the wilds. Many a horse has been seen, lonely and hovering on the edges of the herds, ears pricked and waiting for his rider. Sadly, some riders pass before their mounts, and these horses will often stand waiting and whinnying, in vain for its rider to come back. Certain horses are bestowed with honor in life by having a blue sash tied around their necks, like a prized stallion, perhaps, which has managed to win the summer races, or a mare who has given many a foal in her long years might be given such a sash as a sign of recognition, respect, and a thank you. But the most revered of all horses is the wild and striking Taki, known as the very spirits of the steppes. Untamable, the Taki teases and taunts its would-be wranglers, easily springing free from the pole or rope. A Mongolian with a herd of mares would always wish them to be bred to a taki. Believed to be the mount of the gods, the Mongolians revere the wild horse of the steppes as holy. Even its name means spirit or worthy of worship. 
Further tradition of the Mongolian horse dictates that to cut a stallion's mane is forbidden, as it is believed the spirit of the stallion resides within the mane. With such a rich culture dipped around the horse and its uses, it should come as no surprise that the horse is weaved intricately into the mythology and folklore of the people. In the epic of Gezer Khan, our hero, who was the son of a dragon princess, writes Kiango Karkar. The horse was wild, fierce and intelligent, and would only let Gezer ride him. He could also fly, but when he competed in a race, he resisted and won by galloping as swiftly as the north wind. The magnificent steed is also by Gezer Khan's side when he battles Lutzen, the twelve-headed Mangas demon king. After Gezer defeats the demon, he finally takes his rightful place in the golden throne as king of Ling. Suho is an old folkloric legend told across the entirety of the steppes and surrounding mountains. Suho, the hero of the story, found a young foal in a field alone with no mother. He cared for the foal, and as it grew from colt to stallion, they became great friends, riding across the fields at blistering speeds. He takes part in the Nardam, but the old chief is not happy that a mere peasant should have such a beautiful horse. He orders the boy to be killed and the horse captured. The boy escapes, as does the horse, but he dies from his injuries on the doorsteps of his master. That night, the stallion comes to the peasant in a dream and shows him how to make an instrument from his bones, skin and hair. The boy does so and makes the Moran Cure, the national instrument of Mongolia today. It is still made from the bone and hair of horses, and the top of the violin is carved in the shape of a horse's head to remember the white stallion who gave them the beautiful instrument. But most white horses carry a high status amongst the Mongolian tribes. Shamans are privy to owning and riding a white horse, as are chieftains like Genghis Khan, who own two. These white horses are seen as spiritual and might even carry their shamans to the spirit world and back. Although white is sacred, the Mongolian horses come in an array of colors, from pinto to cream. Although some clans prefer certain colors to others, the horse is hardy, with hooves as hard as stone and a spirit twice as fierce. They are able to easily fend off wolves, who should attempt to attack their herds. This hardiness and courage were key to Genghis Khan's campaign into Asia, where he trampled his enemies under the hooves of his mounts. The small horses could easily run 10 kilometers full speed, and although not as swift as the enemy horses, they were agile and brave enough to aid their riders. But this would not be the final time these horses saw the front line of a great war. In World War I, China sent thousands of its horses to Russia to be used in the war. At least one in every five horses were Mongolian, and just as they were during the 13th century, their spirit and tenacity saw many a rider brought home safe from the battleground. In the Korean War, another Mongolian horse made her mark, the only horse to receive the title of sergeant. Her name was Reckless. She was trained to carry supplies to the men on the front line, and during a single skirmish, she made 51 trips for her platoon and carried many a wounded rider back to the barracks. In the words of her platoon, she wasn't a horse, she was a marine. The Mongolian horse is not the elegant Arab, the swift thoroughbred or the beautiful Andalusian. They are small, they are cramped and stocky, barely a horse and more like a pony. And yet they hold a place dear and true in the hearts of the people of the steppes. They are the spirit and heart of their people and in their small chest lies the heart of a lion, ready to fight the monster, protect its rider and do what is needed. After all, as the saying goes, a Mongolian without a horse is like a bird without wings.